All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. And welcome back to part three of this Antarctica galore that we have today with none other than Cliff High. And uh, we were ending at the cliffhanger, pun intended. <laughs> and uh, I, I got to say, like I, I just stated, uh, Cliff, that when people are threatened with court cases, if they don't keep shut up about this, you don't have to be a conspiracy buff to realize they are hiding something. Yeah. And that's exactly what we're getting at at this part. Now, I have some scenarios at the very end I want to go through with you. But I want to give sure. you a chance to reclaim your original information. So I, I, I guess this would be fitting for you to share your original stuff before it was polluted and altered by these crooks. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, so in the, in the early days in 99 and 2000 and 2001, we keep piling up all this, um, uh, data within my system about Antarctica, bearing in mind that this is prescient in the sense that it is a forecast. It is, um, uh, woo woo at a very deep level. And so it, it's not necessarily reliable. It was just interesting. And I kept it up. And I started getting uh, very distinct patterns. The patterns started indicating a number of different things. And then, or like I say, around 2006, 7 or 8, and some point in time there, the word leaks out of this very large magnetic anomaly that was discovered in 2002. And then I have a peg, a temporal marker, if you will, upon which to uh, tie my data sets so that I know why certain things are occurring. So the language that I had in 1999, 2000, and 2001 was actually forecasting the impact that this discovery would make in 2002 on the uh, general population of the planet, even though it didn't leak out until a little bit later. It was in what we call long-term data. Mm. Anyway, so um, I'm getting interesting kinds of prescient um, glimpses. And so from the data sets that I got over that period of time, uh, leading up until the, um, data pollution really got bad in 2015. And it was brief. It was just short. It was only 2013, 14 and 15 probably. Mm -hmm. And it culminated in 15. And then I was able to, to understand what was going on in the year 2016, perform some tests and was able to identify the culprits. In any event, though, the some of the things I got were, in terms of the, the forecasts for the data, were very intriguing. And so it, it, the data sets were painting a picture of Antarctica as being a continent of a civilization frozen in mid-step, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And thus, everything within that civilization was able to be uh, excavated by uh, modern-day archaeologists, even though this is all secret and everything, the data sets are suggesting that they found some very interesting and curious kinds of technology. Hang on, hang on. Sure. Do you remember a few years ago, it was this big bus in media. Uh, Richard Hoagland was one of those who talked about it, that they 
all these scientists that was rushed out to be, they became sick and they had to be rushed yes. out to New Zealand. And I want to say, according to what you say now, that if there's something pristine preserved from very, very ancient times. That's the same as encountering something out in outer space. That would make sense that you would become sick because the bacteria would be so different from what our organism can handle today. It's like the Indians, right? And the Spanish conquistadors. Comment? Only in this case, yes. In this case, it's an accurate statement, but I don't think it's bacteria. I think it was energy. Okay, I think Uh they, because according to what my data sets were suggesting, the uh, they found a whole range of uh, technologies that all relate to energy. So, for instance, right. in the early sets in 2002 and 2003, there was a very large data set that gave a very intriguing picture of uh, a village uh, that, that was found, that was discovered, and it was ice-free or becoming ever more ice-free at the time that the… So, it wasn't under the ice in a, in a pocket. Correct. But it was actually open. It was on the on a coastal edge, so to speak, of the wow. ice itself. Okay, and the, and we, I don't have any. Uh, now, okay, so now the data sets are bringing back this idea that this village, this was, um, uh, and it was about that time we start getting reports of forests, some forests that have, were under the ice that were free, and they could see broken down trees and stuff that, and so they knew it was temperate before the ice had fallen, mm. and that these forests were essentially as we have now, modern day forests, not 30 million year old cypress or sequoia or something like that, but rather the fir species, firs and hemlocks and these kind of things. And so we got some factual uh, open source kind of um, validated uh, data sets that went along with the idea that a village had become uncovered in the ice and that this small habitation area was built of uh, housing that was mainly a kind of stone that is... um, was there, but seemed to be cultured, seemed to be actually sliced and grown and, and, uh, you know, made up. And the interesting part of it all was the energy stuff they found. So in other words, and so the data sets are forecasting, and I wrote about it at the time in the early 2000s, that uh, we're forecasting a discovery that this village had what you and I would think of as paintable or painted on the walls uh, electricity. And so, so you could have your electricity anywhere you wanted to just run a line of paint and, and in essence, paint on a, a place to attach to get electricity out of. And so they had this, this village was apparently even energized, even had electricity that was measurable within these con- conductive stuff on the inside of, and outside of the buildings at the time that it was discovered. And uh, we also get uh, data sets that are talking about energy in the form of uh, healing devices. And we get the idea of um, a library, not of books, but of energetic repository. And that was how it was described, was an energetic or electric repository. And so I get all of these references around all different forms of uh, current kinds of devices, but um, with um, instead of a book, it's an, an electric form that we would now recognize as like a DVD or something. Mm-hmm. And so basically, it's a very advanced civilization uh, image that's being painted, even more advanced than what we've got now with the idea of being able to, instead of embedding wires in a wall, you just paint on the outside of the wall where you want the electricity to go, that kind of a thing. Mm. And so I started getting all these data sets in the early 2000s that were um, growing over time apace with the very few leaks that were actually coming out of the Antarctic uh, blockade and knowledge blockade. And so I start getting some factual representations that I say, well, if indeed they're reporting in the same 
uh, section of Antarctica that is described by my data as having this village. They're now reporting the remnants of a forest. Well, maybe indeed there has been a village that's been uncovered and they're just not talking about that, but that my data was able to pick it up in its usual prescient fashion. And so all, a lot of it goes to the idea of these energy devices. And so I would agree that the people were made ill by discovering things, but I don't think it was bacteria. I think they found energetic repositories of many different kinds and have been irradiated with radiations that we don't necessarily understand. Yeah. Mm. And that's why they were made ill and it happened so rapidly and it was so devastating. Um, so basically they found stuff and poked about where they shouldn't mm. with no understanding and, and got the, that level of results. Children and matchsticks. Correct, correct. And we're even still doing that. And now the curious part of it is that now you no longer need my data, okay, to do this because there's something going on in Antarctica now that has resulted in people in North America and in Northern Europe being able to look at satellite images and see strange rays and um, beams that are coming out of Antarctica and are playing across the uh, southern half of the globe. And even reaching up into as far as Hawaii. And these beams are captured by these, these uh, microwave satellites called the MIMIC series, where it, it analyzes microwaves theoretically from space. But we also see these um, uh, images of some form of radiation that triggers the satellite. And it's very unusual radiation. It's, it's pulsed. It looks like a, a 1950s style ray gun with with a, a central beam, but with these pulsing things that travel down it. And these things are coming out of Antarctica and have been for probably the last year and a half. And so it is my way of thinking, based on what my data said in the early 2000s, that they found a switch and they turned it on and now they're playing with some of the devices down there. Right. But, you know, um, we have many scenarios. But, but before we go there, you, you talked about you, you have a copy of the pyramid image. Uh, you are not allowed to release that, right? Correct, until the fellow dies. And he's, he's about uh, 15 years my senior uh so oh that gives us hope <laughs> yeah it, the expectation is that that i will be able to release it yeah but you know those uh, and i under i understand and also by the way going to the idea of the threats and so forth yeah and so he the fellow that gave it to me was quite explicit that he did not want his children and grandchildren yeah. to be damaged yeah. and that was the threat against him yeah they always go after family Correct, yeah. But um, the problem is that those people who farther about in the polls, they're often very enduring, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really do, yeah. It's being cold. You better yeah. keep in... Are you in good shape, by the way? <laughs> oh, I am, yes, indeed. Excellent. Yeah, yeah you, you sound like. Uh, and I also picked up that you're doing Tai Chi or something, so that, that gives hope. Just hang in there, Cliff. Yeah, I do Aikido and meditation and stuff, so I'm I'm good. <laughs> Uh, and, and then maybe you should make some arrangements to have those released in case of you, if you get accidented or suicided. Uh, that would happen, I think, without any. Um, it, it, that is covered. We don't have to worry about that. Oh, excellent. the only big issue is finding them in all the boxes. <laughs> right, right. But so, um, uh, yeah, we have all these people. Yeah, the pyramid. So uh, your hypothesis about the pyramid is that there was an ancient culture that was worldwide and they built all, all the original pyramids? Correct. And we even see these in Australia. And insofar as I know, oh, yeah. Australia has 
as the largest of all of the pyramids. There may be some really? that are larger in, in Antarctica, but we don't know that for sure. Do you, do you discount the Bosnian pyramid? No, I don't. I'm just saying the one in Australia is bigger. Oh, so it's not like those in China. And, but well, we don't know because many of them aren't unearthed. We only see the top of them. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And that's what's going on in, a, in the one in Australia is that we're just looking at what appears to be the top half of that pyramid. Haven't heard about it. Where, where is, is this exotic or is this public? No, it's reasonably public. I mean, it's a mountain range and there's a mountain that has a mountain name, but everybody, all the locals call it, you know, Pyramid Mountain or the Pyramid. Right. It's been associated with UFOs for a long time and this sort of thing. And, you know, it's, it's known as a, an artificial structure by the Aboriginal. Right. As has the Poles. Um, maybe you should go there now, unless you want to add something to... The, well, we could mention all the weird people has gone there. I know that's been exploited and beaten dead by everyone, but just for the sake of completion, let's do that. Right, we can look at it, you know, as as to the odd timing, because I, I I'm really keyed in on time, and so it seems it would seem odd for uh, John Kerry to go down to Antarctica, right? Mm. He's not known for being an extreme sports aficionado or doing any of these kinds of things. He's not Norwegian. Well, he was, he was allegedly a war hero. So, and, and does bicycle riding, but you know, yeah. neither of those would, would say that he's really itching to go climb mountains in, in Antarctica or anything. And yet he goes there the very day yeah. of the most important election for his party ever. That's the timing and, of it. And, yeah. Yep. Correct. The timing is just shocking. And then we get a new president here, and the very first public actions that he really takes is to send Newt Gingrich as an emissary down to Antarctica. Obvious. That's even weirder. Newt Gingrich, he's what we call a sofa pig. Exactly, exactly. He's the last guy you would expect to. <laughs> I know, and they stick him in a kayak and have him out there, you know, negotiating with penguins or something for the for the photo op. Right. And and then that's all we hear about it. And he says, and he, the Grinch, the Grinch has been deeply involved in in NASA stuff. Oh yes. I mean, he even when he ran for president, he was even ranting about colonizing the moon. Correct. And he's got this, exactly. And he's got this big bent uh, for all things uh, UFO and woo woo. Mm. And, uh, and yet somehow still manages to maintain a reasonably effective presence uh, politically. Oh, yeah. But th this, is a, this is the guy who has been married a million times and cheated on all his <laughs> wives oh, and know, still managed to almost managed to impeach uh, Clinton. So For the same crimes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So he's a big hypocrite. But. Um, yeah, that's interesting. But the point being that the powers that be, uh, whenever there's a, apparently whenever there's a power shift in the U.S., we've got to go down and and speak with or somehow acknowledge this to the penguins in the ice yeah. in Antarctica, because obviously there's no one else there that we could be talking to. No, it makes sense. The penguins are already dressed in diplomat clothes, right? So right, there you go, there you go. <laughs> send down a diplomatic mission, and they, they certainly must speak <laughs> must speak French. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in any event, though, we get we get to this point where here we are with the powers that be that even in England, you know, the uh, Falkland War may have been a lot less about uh, oil in the Falkland Islands than a uh, an English presence that keeps them close to Antarctica and the buildup for, you know, so the, the rumor is that the Falklands are in fact England's jumping off or staging point for their Antarctic adventure, but they've just haven't funded it. Right. And, and uh, so here we are at the situation now where we have Antarctica exhibiting all of these strange radiations that we're able to pick up on uh, earth monitoring satellites. We have the powers that be sending the very top echelon 
non-hardy individuals, religion and political uh, pinnacles. Yeah, before you go there, I I have to comment because you pointed to something I never thought about before. It's so weird that the British, who used to rule half the globe and gave it up, of course, begrudgingly and stuff, but gave it up. But then they choose in modern times to go to war to keep an insignificant island far away from anything. Adds nothing to their empire. If anything, it's a detriment diplomatically in terms of resources, everything. That they go to war to preserve. But they gave up and, their empire. And, hey, and they went to war at a really serious level, okay? Indeed. The, uh, but, I mean, not just what we were told. Because oh. at some point, there was a um, – the British lost a destroyer to an Exocet missile, all right? Mm-hmm. The French build these missiles. These missiles have control codes in them that are built by the French. And the British went to the French and said, give us the control systems to the Exocet missiles. We don't want to lose another destroyer to them. And the French refused. They said, we're not part of this. We're going to stick with our clients, the uh, Argentinians, right, mm. and to the Argentine. And, um, and, uh, so then the, the British reputedly moved nuclear, um, submarines off the coast of Argentina and heated up four, uh, nuclear tipped missiles inside those subs so that their signature would show on satellites. Then they pointed this out to the French and they told the French, you have 12 hours to give us the codes or we're going to nuke Argentina. Wow. And then the French. That's horrible. It, granted, it was the Iron Lady who, who, who ruled it uh, back then. She's, you know, there was just revelations in Britain now that the British intelligence cooperated with the Unionist in Northern Ireland to kill the state minister. That's the president for, for the American audience yeah. of Ireland. Yeah. That's how crazy these people were already back in the 70s and the 80s. So, of course, they're, they're taking their orders from somebody who swears they're related to a sea monster. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you it know. gives a certain depth to the situation, indeed. Right. So, so yeah. But, okay, so let's uh, continue counting the, the, or the diplomatic emissaries we've sent down there. And we've had the Russians, the head of the Russian church. And that's equivalent to the Pope, by the way, for the Catholics. Correct. Yes, yes. He's the Eastern Eastern Pope, right. Mm. Ag- arguably has more power and control, although not as much money, probably. Um, and we've had religious leaders of all different stripes. We've had uh, emperor relations from Japan go down. So it's not just ordinary Didn't people. the royal crown prince of England go down there too? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the kid or something like that? Uh, exactly. Yeah, um... I can't think of which one it is, but one of the royals, indeed. Oh. In fact, there have been more than one. I think Prince Chucky's been down twice. So, um, and mm. we have Obama going to Patagonia yeah. and then disappearing and then coming back in Patagonia. With a NASA team, by the way. Correct. And so, curiosity upon curiosity. And then we have the curiosity of them taking um, uh, Glenn down there, the astronaut Glenn. Big NASA team goes down, and he theoretically oh, has uh, has some kind uh, of and bus bus went there too yeah exactly so you know you get to a situation where at some point you've got to say why is the creme de la creme all making a, a you know it's not like they're muslim and have to go on a hajj but nonetheless <laughs> it, it looks like they're making a hajj yeah. to antarctica in the new mecca you know to go and, and bend the knee to something that's at least the the rumors that come out in woo woo mm. is the, so the rumors that are taken from these facts 
extrapolate that these people are down there bending the knee to some alien overlord. And I don't think it's quite that way. Yeah, I want to. Uh, that's what I want to explore with you: the scenarios. So, I mean, I guess we could just go there. We don't have that sure. much time, and time flies. So let's start with the first scenario, and this is the mainstream alternative, <laughs> the mainstream in the vuvu. That is that uh, there's a flying saucer base. You have two subcategories, either like Nazis or inheritance of Nazis, or you have uh, like aliens uh, or something like that. But that would be... Frequently referred to as the Anunnaki, yep. Oh, yeah, they even think the Anunnaki's, yeah, okay. So, um, well, you can uh, elaborate on, um, uh, on, on that scenario before we move on to the next. Yeah, sure. The idea is that there's a... Um, uh, it, it, that the... the Nazis discovered and irritated or disturbed or became uh, an annoyance to the Anunnaki, got themselves noticed, and that the Nazis and the Anunnaki worked out a deal. But the Anunnaki are basically running the place down there. And all of this is under the ice in these giant caverns that are quite warm, that have um, habitation and all of this. And we know that those actually could exist because the rivers are so uh, warm that they're, they cut channels in the ice and a lot of the lakes that exist there, the small ones anyway, are within bubbles. The larger lakes are even within uh, very strange bubbles of uh, warm temperature. And uh, so it's not ice right on top of the surface of the lake. There might be several hundred uh, feet of uh, open air above the lakes uh, before you get to any kind of ice. And the, and the, the woo-woo interpretation here is that all these individuals have gone on down to uh, swear allegiance to or take their orders from our, our galactic alien overlord that is in fact in charge of the planet and that they've just chosen to hide out in Antarctica because there aren't that many humans to annoy them. That's a good point, but I can corroborate one aspect of that and that is that I, I had the one of the world's foremost experts on Nazis on recently that show isn't out yet. It's on it's about Antarctica. But he's he's a down to the earth man and the reason one of the reasons he's he's such an expert is that he has an organization where many of those ex Nazis were a member even people who were in those old even people who were on uh, bird expedition he has American members too all over the world oh and yeah it's called shark hunters it's like an international club for former People who are interested in submarines and stuff like that, but also planes. So, uh, and he has also people who was in the original German uh, expedition. Now, he wanted to muster an expedition of his own. You can hear all about that in our show people. Uh, they got crushed, even to the level that an old lady, they killed a dog and crushed her niece. So, here's the thing. He told me that there were maps, and he sent me a lot of pictures, maps that the Nazis uh, mapped of the, where they could sail with a UFO submarines. Uh, I bet it's not called sail, but you know what I mean, float? Sure. Would you yeah. say float? No, we actually would say sail. I mean, it doesn't matter. You would say sail. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So uh, there were maps that they were mapping out of areas underneath the ice huge cavern we know they did the same in greenland they built them so why wouldn't they do it in a place that had such a high priority but what they did was that it's not that just brute force they found these huge caverns already 
and then they mapped them because that would be easier for them to move about down there, right? So if they work with nature, and then probably also, depending on how much resources and and manpower and energy they had, tweak it. So Well, look at Look at there, you know, they took the reputedly over 20,000 blonde, blue-eyed women out of the Ukraine down there. Wow. I mean, there was, there was in the 1942, 43, and 44, there were... Uh, <laughs> Paying 20, tribute to the Anunnaki's, huh? <laughs> well, who knows what, I mean, the idea was for, for uh, the, the assumption is in the woo-woo world that it was a breeding program to yeah. establish a colony right. and that it was, uh, these were basically women that would be given to their soldiers as brides and that that's why they hunted through for the blue-eyed blondes out of the Ukrainian population and that there, we know that they, even to this date, there uh, within the displaced persons uh, problems of World War II, there's a giant block of these of over 20,000 women that that disappeared from the Ukraine and ended uh, and we don't know what happened to them. The, and but they were uh, theoretically or as far as we know they were all taken down to New Schwabenland. Many of them in these giant submarines that could even take airplanes and so forth. So very just a very interesting terms of resources yeah i was thinking more in the line of since we were at the scenario that the sons of the gods saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful and they took them as wives <laughs> I, I just saw it as more a bunch of horny germans you know <laughs> that, that needed needed women of course because we know they did this also in places like africa and stuff they right, uh, right. needed to give women but the thing is I'm, i mean I, i'm just indulging the scenario okay but we have to mention it it's, it's our duty yeah so the thing is okay if they made a deal, what better payoff than supplying them with <laughs> breed stuff? And that's that's another thing too. Is the okay? So if you go uh, jump back to our previous conversation here, right? Yeah. Uh, with about the Salish, and the Salish and their their description of the Nemo and stuff, they've got all of that down pretty pretty well. They describe it as an aquatic being, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's this big gap, and then they and then so the Nemo can be thought of as the star people. Right. They came from the stars. And then there were these people they called the sky people. And the sky people were not nice to be around, and the Salish had to hide from them. The sky people were harvesting the Salish, as the, and they would harvest the, right. the Salish along with, you know, uh, fish and, and uh, cattle and elk and all this kind of thing at the mm-hmm. same time. And, and we don't have descriptions in that, in that um, there, excuse me, there's only two descriptions that I'm aware of in the Salish uh, let's call it oral tradition or literature, uh, relating to people that escaped. And so they have, we have two instances of people that escaped from the sky people after being captured that told of their experiences. And these were, uh, inculcated into the tradition, oral tradition about, uh, what was going on. But at those stages, we have the idea of the sacrifice and the Salish were not part, the Salish determined that they were not part of this treaty this organ, uh, um, agreement, and therefore they did not have to participate as willing members of the sacrifice to feed the sky people. And mm-hmm. so they were, they were to, they decided that they were resistors and they resisted, uh, this, but other, other, um, native American tribes also, uh, reference the sky people and also acknowledge that the sky people came and harvested humans. And that once the humans were snatched, they were never heard from again. And there was just never any, um, uh, understanding of what happened to them after that. Now the Salish are unique in my discovery anyway, 
that there were two instances of where someone had been captured by the Sky People and they were able to escape. In one case, the description is that the guy who was captured by the Sky People uh, was in a very large crowd, uh, was thought to be dead, was put in with a bunch of dead animals that presumably were to be used for food. Uh, it was cold. He mentions that. So maybe it was refrigeration. And anyway, at the time that he uh, revived or, or became uh, cognizant aware again, he was able to sneak out because the uh, sky people's dwelling was not in the sky, but was on the land at that point, And he was able to get out. And the, then he describes the thing he saw in the sky people's dwelling. And it basically is a very crude description of a artificial structure that could be in the sky or it could be on the earth. Mm. And so this guy was able to escape from these very tall, extremely pale humans. And, um, uh, but known as being very bloodthirsty. And so this is the, and at that point, the, in the Salish tales, they will talk about this notion that some earth people had that there was, it was necessary that tribute be paid to the sky people. Whereas the Salish disputed that because Raven had told them that their creator was not the sky people. It was the star people and that the sky people were liars. And wow. so, and we have in the woo-woo world, many people re will report to you that the Anunnaki created earth or created the humans. Mm. And in fact, the, or rather my supposition is that indeed the Anunnaki messed about with our genetics, but that they're not very good at it. And that our, in fact, our original creators were the Nummo. Mm. And it again, goes back to the idea of a sacrifice. And do we have to actually, is there a tribute that is to be paid because we lost this great war? or because we were the slaves of the people that lost the Great War. Mm. Hmm. Fascinating. Well, um, who knows? Uh, I bet that uh, if there is someone there, or was someone there, then I'll tell you who made a deal. Uh, that's the Americans of the bird. Because there's no reason for them to lose this mini-war of theirs in '47. And then suddenly everything is up for grabs a few years later. I know. That is so weird. There has to be, a deal has to be big cut. Or, or there has to be some thing, some kind of an event or, or something that occurred, you know? Okay, if there were like a, just a fragment of Germans or whatever, maybe they could blast them in nukes. But we, we wouldn't know that nukes were, nukes weren't bombed there be, uh, until 58, 59. The, the nuke wasn't that advanced in 47. Um, no, it was, it was also quite unreliable. Exactly. So that wouldn't be... And, and if they had uh, weapons, like, let's say the Nazis had their bell and everything. That's, and, and if he is right that they can fly from pole to pole uh, within, what's he saying? Within hours. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Then uh, it would be so easy for them to get away from there. No, um, I don't buy that it, at all. No, it, see, I don't either. Yeah. It has to be a deal. There's got to there's got to be something that occurred, and it's got to be something I think that occurred with a party that um, obviously was as powerful or more so than the uh, mass of the uh, United States military at that time. Mm. And maybe it was a situation of where now there is one thing that we can think of as a as another aspect of this. Okay, that you just have to consider, and that is what if the um, 
uh, right now, if we were to flash freeze all of our current modern civilization, how much of our electronics would just continue to work, right? Not and, much. Well, no, that uh, I don't know. I would dispute that. Oh. There would be a, a great amount of our electronics that would continue to work for a long time as long as the power was able to be fed to them. And, there's nothing and as long as the sun doesn't spew an electromagnetic pulse. Correct. And that kind of thing. But But the point mm. being that you could indeed, and maybe if there was a different kind of a technology, maybe what we encountered was not um, people. Mm, right. Correct. Maybe it was an automated system. Right. All right. So, so maybe, and this would also tend to fit in with what we're currently seeing. So you right. could imagine a scenario where in 1947, we go on down there and we encounter a defense system set up by space aliens just to defend themselves. Right. And we're too primitive to to deal with correct and so we get the we get kicked out by this ai defense system this is straight out of stargate the wisdom that what it's called that is sci-fi series they found and say i don't know because i i haven't seen into I've, i've watched this one that was stargate universe about this ship at the far edge of the galaxy and i can tell you why in a minute but in any event right. uh, so i don't know for sure uh, but, but i'll take your word on that people claim they were seeding the pentagon production they were seeding uh, information oh i would be- i would believe that 100% because the military runs the largest uh, film studio in the world and it's just the other side of the hills from pasadena yeah if you're going to get any money for a huge movie like that you have to you've got to be talking to the military mm. right yep. but in any event so so let's imagine this scenario where we go in down in 47 there's a battle with an um a robot robotized let's just think mm. of it that way a robotic uh, defense system and we lose and then maybe we figure out how to turn it switch off or maybe we find out the safe word in some reason for some reason or a safe passage correct and for some some mechanism thereafter we're not hassled by this robotized space system or defense system or it was depleted no i don't think i don't think it was depleted because it could have been could have been mm-hmm. and maybe we've re-energized it maybe that was why we brought the nukes down but in any event though nowadays we have showing up from antarctica what looks like an active test period going on for a planetary defense system where they're shooting out rays yeah. that go from the Weddell Sea over past uh, uh, Patagonia all the way over to North Africa. And we see them shooting out rays from uh, the Ross Sea that curve around the planet and exit our atmosphere somewhere over Hawaii. And so, and we can see these rays on the Mimic satellites. They're out there doing this stuff. We see it, you know. Is this connected to the HARP stuff? No. These rays are entirely different than anything HARP could do. All HARP can do is heat up the ionosphere. These are actually microwave ray kind of things. Presumably, if you stood in front of the radiation, it would fry you instantly. Because it's so large that uh, by the time it's passing over Hawaii and exiting our atmosphere, because it's being shot out obliquely, right? It's not, they're not shooting at Hawaii. They're shooting out a ray that that, uh, does not curve with the planet and exits our atmosphere after it passes over the equator, but it goes up to about Hawaii before it does so. But when it does, it's wider uh, than twice the distance between all of the islands. And it starts out in, in Antarctica as a relatively narrow beam and widens as it goes out. So we can infer all kinds of information about the type of radiation involved, its rate of spread, its dissipation rates, and so on. And so I'm thinking that that we did not create this. If we did create such a thing, it would be a good place to go and test it in Antarctica. Absolutely. But we should find, you know, because there's no, nobody around, but we should find some evidence somewhere 
of a technological trail that leads to the creation of these devices, just as we have a, mm. a, tend to, uh, a technological trail that leads us through the crash in 47 into transistors, carbon fiber, fiber optics, all of this stuff, right? We can trace it back to that. Actually, Dr. Farrell argues that you can find trace of that in German science from the time. You know, all science went black after the war, right? Uh, most of the Correct. Pr promising paths the science was on. But that's a minor point. Uh, and anyway, we're entertaining the the alien scenario so it's sure. is fair for and if, to... if we had that imagine that, that yeah. they were in a great war and they set up perimeter defense systems like you might see in one of these science fiction movies it's all yeah. automated controlled by computers and stuff and that those buggers just kept those those devices kept on running until we happened to stumble into it in 1947 and then we figured out what we're dealing with or in some manner got was able to turn it off and now here we are turning it on again mm. in little bits and pieces as we experiment with the technology this also fits with the idea of the scientists getting themselves made yep. ill yep. Uh, because they're turning on flipping switches about stuff they have no clue about. Mm. And uh, so they're, you know, as all scientists, they're curious, oh, what's this do? And then mm. the next thing you know, the people next to you turn into piles of dust and you get real ill. <laughs> you know, that, that sort of thing. Plus, they have no uh, choice. The military is ordering them to, to find Correct, out. Correct, to investigate this stuff, right. But this, this is uh, two things. First, Dr. Farrell has been arguing for, like you can hear people in our show with him called Ancient War in Heaven, uh, that there was this kind of technology that was even planet busting. Like you, you're really playing with uh, deep... Primal forces. Fabric of existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's a destiny changing. It's 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 basically the technology of the gods. Now another thing is that, as you know, Cliff, and as I've understood it, you are from military background. Your father or something, Correct. yeah. Uh, so born, you, born into it, yes. Yeah. So you know that that world is always decades ahead of the white world. Now, Reagan, I think, was the first started to uh, agitate for a Star Wars program. And that was uh, when in the early 80s? Yeah. So you should assume that, he, I mean, he wouldn't have clearing to do that if they weren't ready to time. launch something. Yeah. yeah. So that means that they've had uh, about uh, 30 years to tweak this stuff wherever. And I know that this, right, and I know that this stuff exists because my father's uh, role in the military brought him very close to it many times. So my father did three tours in the uh, Vietnam War. And in his second tour, he was advanced enough in rank. And he was there, I think, 11 or 12 months. And when he was in country at that point, he was a, uh, he's always been a field officer and uh, came up uh, in the military through the Korean War in a battlefield commission. And so, you know, the military likes guys like him, and they let him be in charge of a couple of different projects. One of the projects that he was in charge of at the time was these uh, technology, this technology that they introduced into Vietnam that uh, almost brought the war to a standstill. Wow. And th this technology was a uh, night vision goggle. But it's not night vision as we have it now, okay, uh, because the night vision goggle was done in the red spectrum. And so when my father came back from Vietnam. You mean infrared or? No, 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 no. I'll explain. Ordinary so. red. Oh, ordinary red. Okay. Mm. So instead of seeing, when you look at a night vision goggles now, you see green. 
Everything is right. translated uh, into green for you. Mm. And human eye sees green, more colors, shades of green than any other color. It's right. part of our evolution, our n need to find food. So that's clever then. Correct. But see, here's the thing. It started off as red. Mm. And so the night vision goggles were introduced to helicopter uh, pilots and uh, gunnery people in Vietnam. And I, I won't hesitate as to the, I mean, I won't um, guess as to which year it was that they introduced them. But my father was part of this initial experiment mm. with the troops that he commanded. And it was a disaster because the image was presented in red pixels, not green. And because of the te technology being used at that time, it created very interesting effects that they could not deal with. So you had uh, some officers that were part of this um, cadre uh, or this cohort of other officers that were all uh, testing these new technologies for the military that had their troops always use these goggles. And those, those units uh, became self-destructive. They uh, went down in a horrid situation. My father was extremely practical, didn't want to see him uh, himself get destroyed in any way, wanted to return and get out. So as soon as he saw what's going on with these goggles, he had his people take them off. And he actually got um, uh, praise from the military for the way that he dealt with all of this. But the effect was this. A gunner in a helicopter would have no problem using these goggles. And only everything is showing up as a, a sort of a faint reddish image. And it was true night vision the way we have it now. And even a greater depth because you could also flip it and get an extra layer that was sort of yellowish that would be heat signatures as well. And they don't have those combined anymore in these goggles. Anyway, the goggles that were presented to the gunners, and my father tells the story of the very first time they're out with them, and they're flying along and he's in the front of the helicopter with the pilot. And all of a sudden, in a very peaceful area, not anything going on at all, the the gunner in his uh, on the on the starboard side of his helicopter starts firing wildly at their height, not at anything on the ground, but at an area that he was shooting at and basically causing other helicopters in their little flotilla to have to react. Hmm. And he and my father goes on back to the to the gunner basically demanding what the hell dude what are you shooting at <laughs> and the and the kid is just sweating profusely just and his eyes are just dilated beyond belief and my dad thought he was dealing with another heroin addict but this mm -hmm. was before it had gotten really bad in in vietnam and the kid was not exhibiting uh those kind of symptoms he was mm -hmm. reacting to what he had seen mm -hmm. and he's describing to my father that he was shooting at these basically flying demons that mm. were flying alongside the helicopter. And, and he knew they were coming to get him because they were gesturing at him and they could see him. And so he reacted and he started shooting his Bren gun, uh, you know, big 50 caliber slugs at these things. Right. Mm. And they were flying along right next to the helicopter. So he's fly, firing out directly from the helicopter and there are other helicopters in the vicinity. So it caused all kinds of problems. And this goes on repeatedly week after week after week, every time they try and use these these night vision goggles at some point they encounter monsters true monsters <laughs> now officers had been told not to wear these mm. okay the the pilots were told not to wear them mm. and but my dad put them on to see what the hell was was going on and to hear him describe it wow. it was like like being in the worst kind of a demonic gothic hell Jeez. 
that you'd look out at the tops of trees and you'd see these creatures with big wings and claws and everything come flying off of the tops of the trees, but you'd take the goggles off and there's not even a disturbance in the, yeah. in the fog above the canopy of the trees, right? They're, they're, they're perceiving into an aspect of consciousness. Correct. Another dimension. And it was tied to the red image. As soon as, right. and so as soon as they went to green, all of this kind of stuff disappeared. Of course, of course. Uh, and, uh, and we don't have time. To, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> me studying Pythagoreanism and vibrations, we could speak a lot about this, but let's not even go there. But one question, are these connected to the modern night vision Googles people used to see UFOs? Correct. Third generation or whatever they're called. Are that, is this the same technology? It's the same technology. It's just that the translation is is done through a different uh, phase alignment, and we're not seeing everything that the goggles could show you. And, and they don't connect it to heat signatures either, right? Organic. They don't do that, and then they also don't do it with a red display. Now, the red red aspect of it is interesting because the the green display comes from electrons, not photons, okay? And it comes from an electron transmission. Mm -hmm. Presumably, they were still doing electron transmission. They were just turning it into a red filter. That keeps it more material. Exactly. And and at this stage, though, in the in Vietnam, when they introduced them, it was there. It was brief. It lasted the whole project lasted about 60 days and then it was all canceled and they and yeah, the people that of course it was so impractical correct correct i mean your flotilla is <laughs> shooting at each other right suddenly they had a new enemy <laughs> <laughs> right, don't right. let them know when the bullets didn't bother right please say you inherited uh, one of these googles from your father no 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 oh, no, damn. no no that kind of stuff never happened my dad was he was at a level of the military where we had to be very concerned because he used to do CID, um, right. um, internal uh, criminal kind of investigations, right? Yeah. And so his uh, clearances and stuff were always checked. So he was a by-the-book kind of a fellow insofar as the military was concerned at that level. I mean, we had our phones tapped, all of that kind mm, of okay. thing. Okay, because I was, I, I was ready to book a flight to Northwest uh, America now. <laughs> I'll just cancel Well, it. Apparent, apparently we would not want to do this anyway because my father said that the single exposure, and in terms of him describing it, made you mad. The yeah. the single exposure mm. to the uh, goggles that he would put on that one time uh, had an uh, unsettling effect on him for several weeks afterwards. Right. And the people that wore the red goggles, the gunners, and these kind of people were uh, or unstable at best for for months. Many of them were cycled right out of the out of yep. the war as a result of this experience. Yep, that so fits with the whole uh, Vietnam War anyway. And you couldn't tell the difference. Everybody went crazy over there. Right, right. But here these guys had a real reason for doing it yeah. because of, of the images coming in and the radiation probably. But, I mean, imagine the energies letting loose in Vietnam at the time. No wonder that was uh, attracting uh, those kind of manifestations. You're right. Now, maybe the manifestations are there continuously, always maybe. around us, but they just don't disturb it's us. A, it's just a strata of reality, right? Right, yeah. right, because we don't see them, right. Mm. And see, so here's the thing. Indeed, if we're looking at automated kinds of systems and so on, there's nothing to say that, um, okay, uh, we use projectile weapons, but that's not the only way to think of uh, uh, fighting wars and uh, right. doing protective systems and so on. Some of them may be quite biological mm. and indeed be mechanistic at a, at a deep level. 
And and you could interact with these apparitions when you had a Google. The song. apparitions, the apparitions could see you, and you mm. could see them. That's what caused these people to think they were under attack by these by these beings, and to respond by shooting at them because the 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 things they were shooting at would point to at them to yeah. each other and attempt to coordinate something. Of course, it must have been a big deal because normally we can't see them, right? Correct. Look at and, that. That guy can see us. You're up. You're up a couple hundred. Exactly. You're up a couple of hundred <laughs> feet in the air, and this thing's flying along, and it's pointing at you. And you look, look around, and then it points at you again, and you you have that mind to mind connection. Right. Of course, you're going to freak out and start shooting. Yeah, yeah. Mutually, I bet. Yeah. And and by the way, they are shooting in our atmosphere right now. Uh, with an ordinary Google's people used to UFO sightings, sightseeing. Exactly. And I've got those. I've got those goggles, and I see a lot of the UFOs and stuff. Hmm. In my particular area here, I have to look over to the uh, constellation uh, Cassiopeia. And there I see a lot of the activity that's going on. And see, this is why, <clears throat> getting back just briefly to the blue chicken cult and the Corey Good guys, right? Hmm. I, I had no problem accepting the idea that there would be a, a whistleblower that would come out of the secret space program, okay? Mm. Because I see the secret space program with the goggles sure. flying around doing stuff. I see the big ships. I see the little triangular ships. I see what, to a military brat, are clearly logistics movements. I also see clearly what are um, coordinated flotilla training exercises where they're all learning to fly with each other mm. or act in a coordinated fashion. And so I can easily understand that the secret space program exists because I can go out and see it most days that it's not raining around here. <clears throat> and so I was sort of expecting that, well, at some point somebody's got a blab, but I was thinking that, you know, it would be somewhat realistic and not this, um, yeah, like the hacker who found evidence that they even have space fleets. Oh, McKinnon. Yeah, exactly. And they want to put him in jail. Of course. Now, so there's a real good, real good indication. This guy comes on out. Just like, like the Antarctica missions, you, you have to go by the reactions. That's the telling, correct, telling part. Correct, correct. <clears throat> and so here we have the reactions of the military and the government trying to put McKinnon in jail to extradite him from England for a crime that he didn't commit in their country that isn't even really a crime in our country just because he found stuff he shouldn't have mm. found. And they go on for years about it. Which makes me think what Ace has... Um, Assange got up his sleeve. Yeah, what's he holding? But it also goes to the other point. If if McKinnon, a kid um, in England with a computer, causes such a brouhaha about the um, secret space program, mm. then obviously Corey Good is full of shit because no one's trying to arrest him. They are rewarding him. Correct. And in fact, the military and everybody, they're not even looking at him. He, they, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, mm. uh, a crazy fellow. We don't care about him. He's good for that agenda. He 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 makes a mockery out of uh, this thing. But then we and ha- he may even be designed. We don't know. I mean, they may dis- want him to do that. Yeah, he may he may be a psyop. Of course, exactly. Many people think so. But here's the thing: we have uh, even more evidence. We have Michael Schratt. That if anyone's listening and in touch with him, please please implore him to get in touch with us. Oh, he needs to be covered. He was one. He's one of the. Great researchers in the serious secret space program convention research, which was kind of hijacked by the Wilcox good crowd. Right. Uh, and Michael Schratt, uh, his evidence is so tight that you can't discuss. It's, it's not a discussion anymore when you go through his material that 
we are experimenting with that. But you know, we have so pressed for time, and this isn't a UFO program. Sure. So I want to move on to scenario two. And unfortunately, we don't have to spend too much time on scenario two. That's one third scenario at the end I want to spend more time on. Scenario two, we've already touched, namely, and that is that instead of being alien, Anunnaki, whatever, it's antediluvian. And everything you said fits even with antediluvian. It could still be a protection system, automated. Sure. Just doesn't have to be goblins from Sirius who's behind it. You know what I mean? Correct. Comment about that scenario. We know that there have been... I I, I bet you favor that scenario, by the way. I I do. I do favor that scenario. And the reason I favor that scenario is because we know humanity has been on Earth a lot longer than um, uh, the archaeologists would have us believe, right? Mm. Uh, So, and the forbidden archaeology keeps uh, rearing its ugly head continuously in spite of the Smithsonian's attempt to crush it all. Mm. And so I do favor that. And this is just the kind of things that humans would do. And, And humans have been in Antarctica a great deal of time. And this would also make it a lot easier to understand uh, the 1947 to 49 transition from at war with something to mm. it's no longer an issue. Whereas, so if that's beings, if it's space beings, Anunnaki or, you know, remnant, uh, whatever serious, yeah. uh, you know, warthog kind of things from space, uh, in Antarctica, they're still there. And the idea that we would make a deal with them wouldn't necessarily translate to us flooding into Antarctica right away. That's like an ant making a deal with you. Correct. Correct. And with the, yes, and exactly. What can he offer? And, and there's the, exactly. And so, the, and there's the other side of it <clears throat> with the ant, uh, suddenly decide, okay, we've got a deal and now I can start <laughs> and, and colonize your kitchen. Right. <laughs> so, right. and we're down there colonizing. That like, deal sucks for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But here we are down there colonizing the kitchen now. Mm. And, and so I don't think it was a deal. I think we found the off switch to the generalized system or it depleted itself of energy or some event occurred that altered the status quo. And here we are with a new arrangement. And now we're back. Or, to or maybe, the- maybe we pushed the Nazis out of that toy. That would be easier if it was Nazis uh, having access to it, maybe not even understanding it or controlling it completely, maybe enough to have a few saucers. But so if there were if, people... If that were the case, though, if that were the case, you would have to postulate the other side of it. If we push them out, where did they go? Well, I, I mean, there wasn't like a million Nazis down there. Either they were crushed or integrated. We know, okay, even if, right, even if we, it could have been integrated. It could have been that we absorbed them. I would buy that. But even if we acknowledge that most of the individuals uh, hauled down to New Schwabenland would have died in order for there to be a uh, enough of a crew to fight off that uh, flotilla, you would have had to have had at least several thousands of individuals because you got to have yeah. to have a flight crew for each one of these saucers, etc. And we know that their population... Maybe that's where the deal comes in. And of course, the Nazis can't hold on to a great continent that long on their own. You know, Correct. when they're crushed. Correct. And if we if we look at the the rosters, then we have the Germans' own admissions that they took 20,000 uh, Ukrainian women hmm. and that they had approximately 44,000 people oh, uh, oh. already involved in New Schwabenland. Jeez. So it would have been 60,000 plus. And if over oh, the years we had a, a average death rate without any kind of big uh, repopulation, then indeed there might be several thousand that would have been a remnant that would have, probably would have been happy to... Um, uh, surrender, you know, to get new food sources, that kind of thing. Or if not surrender, at least, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. Correct. 
Correct. Make a deal. And then Nazis have been making deals. Well, we are Nazi civilization, you know, Operation Paperclip, all of that. Well, Hitler was, for all intents and purposes, out of the picture. So if it was like, say, a Bormann character at top, you could bet on a deal. Oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Commercial all the way through. Yep. Right. So uh, antediluvian makes a lot of sense. Um, but there's one thing that kind of makes me a little reluctant, and that's the blowing of the atom bombs. That is interesting, right? Yeah, if you don't miss scenario two, that leads us to scenario three. But if you want to say anything else about... Uh, no, Lubin. I think scenario three has some possibilities because, yeah. see, look, even if even if it is antediluvian and say that they, it was the Nazis and they were the first discoverers of the antediluvian stuff, yeah. and then they would have used some of this stuff with their own advanced technology in the 1947 Operation High Jump, Jump War, yeah. and then maybe we had to you know, find the, their areas and nuke them out of existence. Right. And thereafter, we get access to the antediluvian stuff. But um, that actually makes a lot more sense than the idea that the um, Germans would have developed the level of uh, advanced technology that we're now seeing coming out of Antarctica on their own. Yeah. Okay, this is still scenario two. I'm going all the way down the rabbit hole for scenario three. This is just a slight variation of scenario two, what you said. And it's right. plausible. It's plausible for the data we have. But here's scenario three. I'll give it an introduction and you can take it from there. Uh, obviously, I, we don't have time to substantiate a scientific model a case for hollow earth oh, okay but that we will do in other programs with other uh, with scientists actually uh, i mean everything northern light southern light birds of passage there's so much uh, they discovered huge there's more oceans under the world seas than there are above they've discovered uh, there's a sun in the middle allegedly entrances at the pole which could explain why not just the americans but also the russians and anyone with enough power guards those areas as if it's eden itself and yes yeah uh, freshwater exotic animals i'm just uh, naming a lot of we, we can't elaborate on anything i'm just throwing out uh, words here and it will be elaborated in later programs but it's just to tie it into those programs when people have heard those too sure and we never know the the which chronology they listen to this and also if there was uh, if there's entrances at the poles and huge caverns and everything uh, you have the possibility of, obviously, civilization. We have uh, stories of the no Norsemen, who, uh, North Whalers, who tell us about these things. I also want to shoot in. I'm going to give you the word after I ranted myself finished here. Sure. Yeah, All yeah. these polar explorers. I've looked into this, and it's so interesting. We learn in school that they discovered the North Pole and the South Pole. No. It's been debunked. They debunked each other, actually. They're all revealed. I have to admit, even our heroes, Fritjof Nansen, Roel Amundsen, also crooks like Perry and all these people, they just walked about in the periphery. They set up a random flag, claimed they reached the pole and then went back. They wouldn't have any devices to actually measure what was the pole anyway back then. Correct. So the poles has never been established. Look into that, people. Don't take my word for it. Now. If there's a hollow earth, it can kind of tie to the antediluvian and the Nazi. Both of them are still having a role in this scenario. The only question is, if there are entrances that are guarding and we can't 
I'm not talking about the Nazis, I'm talking about American and Russians. We can't get close to it. The only military submarines are allowed in these areas. Yeah. So then the big question is, is there an advanced civilization still? If they bomb, nuclear bomb, uh, the, uh, if, the, if the hollow earth model is correct, the scientific model, then you would get a weird signature that could either be below, because it would be in the atmosphere, but it would still be below, if you see what I mean. Sure. It's sure. both. You understand what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It would Because it's the curve of the entrance, right? And we get radionucleotides in the atmosphere because it would leak out, so to speak. It would come out. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, the, the, it would be a excellent way to try to show muscles to whoever is down there, or to react and react in fear, and you know, uh, yeah. you know, somebody like Eisenhower says, "Oh, just seal it up." Yeah, exactly. And and back then, uh, thing wasn't as melted either, so there were lots of ice as a buffer. Correct. But I guess it's better that you take it from here if you want to fill in anything. Okay, well, there, what you're saying about primal water and all of these kind of things are, are quite accurate. That there are, there are sources of water that um, uh, are reputed to be pristine, created in the planet and so on. But when we actually tap into them and look at them, we find that the water itself is very old, even though it's down in layers of rock and stuff that theoretically we would not be able to get at. And exotic animals, don't forget that. All, I was just going to say, in all different kinds of stuff, including uh, um, different ecosystems, even down to the level of bacteria and so forth, right? Exactly. So it gets it's very interesting and very um, tweaking in terms of how it takes your thinking because it makes you think about certain things relative to the expansion of the Earth. We know that the Earth has expanded. We know that the plates move and all of these kind of things. How could this be with a hollow planet? However... If the planet is hollow, then, of course, the mass at the middle of it, the plasma, would indeed look like and act like a sun. And you would be able to have the radiation and the heat and so forth. But so the hollow earth thing, there's a lot of um, reasons to have credence to it because it's so ancient, right? You get yep. back to some uh, very ancient, even Greek literature that discusses the earth as being a… Um, uh, a Tibetan, Egyptian, you name it. Exactly. And you have a life on the outside, life on the inside stuff, but not really a, a passage through. We even have it in, you know, journey to the center of the earth kind of things where there's the idea that you could go down there and it's accepted as um, uh, feasible in the science of the time. Now, this does not um, do away with antediluvian. Any civilization that was on the surface here may indeed have had a counterpart inside. We also have the whole uh, Asgard, what, what is the, the North myth? Norse myth of the, um, uh, you know, the, Tula. I guess you'd have to, exactly, there you go, the, the, the um, utopia that was down in the earth, in the mm. Norse lands. Now, the thing about that relative to Antarctica, that's, and also the, the Arctic, that's really curious is that if you go and look at any of our modern representations in the form of satellite photos, you'll never see the South Pole. You'll never get an image. Well, the only pictures that have leaked out shows huge holes in the poles. So, there you go. Shows a giant depression and and certainly is large enough that you could fly in and out of it, as Bird claimed to have done. And it's almost always cloudy over there anyway. Yeah, even so. Even so. Now, we also know that there's some, some so other... We, we have a few pristine pictures without clouds and there's a hole. Right. And, and those other things that are not photographic, but are reportorial. 
Yeah, I'm talking about early satellite photos before they were completely censored. Exactly. You can't go by anything today, CGI no, any, or whatever. It, exactly. You could never tell. But in, in the, some of the early stuff, we also find that all of the early literature, when they did have a lot of airplanes that were uh, before the, the no-fly zones were put in place, you found that people were flying across what we would think of as the hole in South Ad- in uh, Antarctica. Mm-hmm. And when they flew across it, their airplanes would malfunction. And they would malfunction at a very serious degree. And so it was decided by the powers that be that there these no-fly zones would be created. Yep. And But there's no reason to have a no-photograph zone, yeah. right? And right. You, you can't find photos. The, the closer you get in, and it doesn't matter if it's Google Earth or if you go in, even into the NASA satellite photos of Antarctica that are available, no matter what the spectrum. So mimic satellites that monitor the microwaves, even they don't monitor the South Pole region of Antarctica. They're just around the coast true, and the, and, and the rest of the planet. And so the same is true of the North. And uh, so that it could indeed be that that's the case. And I have no conflict with expansion of the earth and uh, the idea that the earth has uh, is, is hollow. No, they, they would be just as, as expanded as us. They would just be in for the same ride. Correct. Plus another thing, uh, all the ancient uh, sources talk about uh, paradise. If your scenario model for the Earth is correct, then we have to look inside for that because then the Earth never tilted. So if you want to find the permanent seasons that were reported in, in antediluvian times, it has to be uh, inside because you wouldn't have seasons there. You would have gradual uh, it would be a paradise for all intents and purposes. A civilization down there would have all the grounds to advance much better than us. Yeah. And I'll tell you, the scientist I'm going to interview, who's going to make a modern scientific case for this, uh, he'll he'll tell us two things uh, I want to throw out immediately. One is the bird. We have a bird here in Norway. When they have their flight of passage, bird of passage, what is called, you know, for winter, yeah. they don't go south like everyone else. They go north and they haven't been able to track them. But even with trackers on, they go out of reach. Uh, when you go to the North Pole, it's all sorts of uh, hell with the tracking system anyway. And they come back every year from the north. Wherever, I think they kind of think it's like a warm zone or something, but it may be much more exotic than that. And then you have the other explanation, which is the northern and southern lights. Granted, it's still a mystery, but they lately have come up with some kind of uh, consensus about it. But it doesn't stick because according to the official narrative, you can't have northern light and southern light at the same time. Right. (laughs) That would be impossible. But we have evidence that that has been. So what they, uh, hollow earth uh, scientists thinks is that it's the, it's when it's not cloudy and stuff, then it's the inner plasma suns uh, light coming out interacting sure, interacting sure. with sort the, of like local loom so to speak pardon uh, like local light loom yeah yeah something like yeah, that yeah and and i would i would certainly buy that the explanation of high energy particles and the uh, ang- angle of incidence of the earth and all of that to create the northern lights does not make any sense it just as the idea of retrograde motion in planets doesn't make any sense. It means our paradigm is is altered if we have to keep coming up with these kludges to make the theory work. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I, I go way back to 
Buckminster Fuller and his dispute with Max Planck of the Planck Institute, right, who came up with a number of um, constants that he's famous for, the Planck constants. None of those are needed if you change the shape of the uh, container from a cube to a tetrahedron. For Avogadro's number, you don't need any of the Max Planck constants and its derivation from that point forward. So it's a matter of our paradigm that's the issue, not and our measurements. And so the whole of the idea of the hollow earth, if you start, I was going to say, if you start looking at some very interesting kinds of linguistics that are available to be found, you'll find that, uh, getting back to the Nazis real quick, that there was a, um, a, a poem. Who believed in the hollow earth, by the way. Correct. And there was a poem that was, in fact, in a particular meter uh, that was uh, recited by the uh, U-boat commanders. And they would recite that, and that was their uh, passage marker to get in and out of the, the river tunnels in Antarctica. And so there's linguistics wow. that are still available, and you don't read them correctly because you, you say, now why would, would the uh, commander of this particular U-boat be told that this is how he has to guide his U-boat? That he can't trust the um, uh, impressions coming through his machinery, through his instruments. He has to, from this point on, use a known time instrument and say these words in this time and then at this meter and then turn to this degree, turn his boat to this degree, to this down angle and so on, right? And and within that poem, there is a uh, description and it's a long thing. It's maybe 130 or 140 lines. It's in German uh, it's still available. I, I can't think of the name of it at the moment because I'm starting to get a little rummy here. But um, <laughs> we're soon done. Yeah, but uh, the one of the interesting things was there was a area of caution that when you got to the near the end to get into this base, you did not want to take the obvious opening uh, off onto ah. what we would think of as the starboard. Right. And there were there was a, a line there that said, "Don't basically don't go here because you're going into the middle of the earth." Right, right, yeah, because uh, just like we have the maps of Antarctica, we also have maps of the hollow earth, and I'm uh, Harry Hubbard that I'm going to have on, he's going to elaborate on that, it's very incredibly interesting, but another uh, substantiation of this scenario would be the UFO phenomenon, because that's been associated to the poles too, yeah. which kind of indicates that it has to be something more than just an automated system. Now, if this scenario would hold water, and granted, it's it's a far fetch, though you could, uh, by the way, explain it easily because you, we know the moon is kind of hollow, and I've seen also astronomical. I guess he's going to elaborate on this astronomical models of how planets, what you say, not uh, conce- concepted, conceived yeah. that they rotate and that the matter is collected around, but that there's preserved like a hole in the poles. And if you look at the planets in our solar system, we see. We had stuff in the poles there too. Uh, for instance, the gas, even gas planets like Jupiter. Uh, and well, we've got that same effect here now. We've got the noctilucent clouds, electrified clouds that are swirling around in a hexagonal pattern around our South Pole, just right. as we see in the images of the gas giants. And we also see there's uh, the uh, moon or Mars. Even Mars has a, I want to say north, but one of the poles has a. Uh, has ice, actually. Correct. 
And when the ice forms, it always leaves that center area unformed, uncovered, as though there's a hole there. Mm. And when it forms, it forms in a hexagonal shape around that central hole area. So there's obviously some level of um, geometry going on that preserves this one re- way or another. I, and I don't think it's intelligently created. I think it's no. just the geometry of the universe. Yeah. And our antediluvian uh, ancestor who escaped the whatever went on and colonized the moon and Mars, etc., or interacted or whatever, but at least moved about there, they could still be, the, the, the way we could accept that they were still being around, like many in the woo-woo world thinks, is that they were on the ground in, for instance, Mars, instead of being above ground. Sure. Uh, but uh, let's take this back to Earth, because if there is a civilization still in the center of the Earth, that could kind of explain Lots of stuff like uh, the UFOs, like the fact that we got exotic technology pretty quickly. Maybe that's who we made a deal with. I know many of the bird people, people are into that, think so. But the, I, I, I guess they are basing themselves on diaries. I think he said something like that in the diaries. But do you want to elaborate on a hypothesis for the hollow earth civilization connected to the poles? I don't have a lot that I can say that I feel comfortable about, okay, because because we have all kinds of of um, language available to that goes to that that subject and goes into that area, but there's all of the contradictions, even though there's a lot of concurrence in the language mm-hmm. and the stories that are told. Um, you have to lump it in with the the generalized my that is weird because we don't have a continuity of thinking about all of it. The interesting part of it, though, that or a, an interesting component of it, is the um, uh, genetics that we see within humanity, and yeah. so it's kind of like why Rh negative, for instance. Right, we are truly a hybrid species. Mm-hmm. Whether that hybridization was occur was accomplished through uh, deliberate GMO kind, you know, us being GMO critters, genetically modified organisms, mm-hmm. or whether it was uh, uh, some level of it was due to um, uh, phenotype spread. Uh, you know, there are those. Okay, uh, so there is that. There mm-hmm. could be civilizations that have a, a genetic, um, or if you want to look at it that way, racial. Uh, impact on the the surface uh, planet peoples right now there's also these weird um, getting back to the Nazis again the Nazis were not only interested in strange occult things relating to technology they were interested in strange occult things relating to uh, the potential races and beings Mm. so one of the things they did was they collected all kinds of information out of the Himalayans uh, Himalayan mountains in preserved Sanskrit. So. Which is alleged, according to the Tibetan lore, to have tunnels that goes down to the inner earth people, Agartha and, and wouldn't Shambhala. Wouldn't doubt it a bit, you know, and it was never a situation of one continent smacking into another and then the result was the Himalayan mountains. It didn't happen that way. <laughs> but if, if we were to follow what the Germans were interested in, in the literature that the Tibetans had, they were interested in the interaction between humans and the humans that were within uh, the earth that lived within those civilizations there. Mm-hmm. They were attempting to get a military edge 
<coughs> in technology yeah. and so forth. But I, I actually trace most of our current technological stuff to 1947 yeah, as its, uh, its incept point. And so I'm really at this stage, until there's other evidence, I'm putting it down to us having shot down uh, a couple of, of these um, uh, UFOs that were actual physical devices, not orbs or anything. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, we've, we've capitalized on all of that technology. And so I think that's where we're at. Yeah, but if there was an automated system, even if the civilization in Earth is gone, you would indeed make sure to guard the only entrances to the crazy apes on the surface sure. who cause so much war and havoc. That's where you would have an automated system. Maybe that's radiation. All the things you said today fits even with uh, inner Earth civilization, only instead of being uh, civilization under the ice, uh, instead of being a UFO base, it would be the very doorstep to our advanced neighbors, whether they're still here or not. And then there's also the other supporting evidence that even goes back to like the Tunguska blast. Okay, because right. if we had an automated system and you were inside the planet, you would want the outside of the planet protected from debris, so to speak, that may come whizzing in. And so you might have an automated system that would just blow the absolute hell out of it uh, uh, without even worrying about it. And where would you put this this stuff? Well, you'd mount the stuff around the poles. Could explain why the UFOs are so obsessed with their nuclear weapons. Because if we had more exotic weapons, I would understand it. But a nuclear bomb isn't any threat to Sirius or anything like that. But if we are experimenting, why are we frantically bombing, testing underground, underwater all the friggin' time? Right. And that's surely going to irritate anybody there. All the way up to modern times. Right. And that's going to get their attention. Because we don't need to do it. The French, uh, remember, did it just like a decade ago. Again and again and again. They're doing it all the friggin' time. Right. Right. It's insane. We know what we need to know now. There's no, okay, if it was Kim Jong-il, I would understand. But we are doing this stuff. And there is there is something, though, that we need to acknowledge, and that is that it may be quite possible that our nuclear technology does disturb the people in the Pleiades or the Syrian system or that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, that's true. String theory. And yeah, I, exactly. Yeah, that yeah. a level that we're not really cognizant of and that would get their attention because we might be monkeying about with a level of the fabric of space-time that they don't want us to, that it's dangerous to mess with. Indeed. You know, that's the problem. All three scenarios have a case for them. <laughs> that's a right. freaking problem we have to rely on your computer system to solve this cliff you better stay on it no my computer system <laughs> i say my computer system at best is going to give us a vague sort of a guess what i was really cool uh, really interested in prior to the data being polluted by these blue chicken cult yeah. um was that uh the antarctic stuff was ramping up with an emotional frequency that um i had never seen before in any of my uh data sets so I would see, for instance, in the Banda Aci quake forecast, I would see as the course of that year progressed, the intensity around the word earthquake kept rising up until the Boxing Day earthquake that sent uh, Banda Aci back to a previous age, as had been forecast. That same level of ramp up that I saw over the course of eight months has been going on for years within the Antarctic data sets, right up to the point where I decided my data set had been polluted which was in 2015 because it took a a sudden jump up yeah and the and the emotional tone was such that i was expecting absolute you know uh 
like a, a total official deep state level disclosure coming out because of the rapid rise of the emotional values around. Uh, well, in the- we have science. Uh, Tom DeLong hasn't been debunked yet. No, no, this I know, but this was a couple of years ago oh, okay. before any of that had popped up, and 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 it, the the sudden jump up uh, was actually the the trigger that I had. Uh, that told me that I had received some level of data pollution. Okay. The the steady ramp in the emotional build was uh, prior to that over the course from 2011 on up through 2015 was a a larger uh, example of what I saw with the Bondachi quake and with a number of these other forecasts as we would actually get closer to the manifestation of the event that caused the language. And so I was of the opinion that uh, we were going to see it imminently and it was just going to happen in 2015 or 16 mm. and then i discovered the pollution level that had crept in from the um, uh, the blue avian uh, space chicken cult and its adherence in in um hollywood and that's really what got me was that i was unprepared to monitor language from a particular way and to screen it and so took it in as being unaffected but in fact it was a circuitous loop within my own data set so basically what i'm saying is we can't rely on my my data to give us the answer here however uh having having said that i went on in as a result of my exposure to antarctica and stuff and started doing a lot of snooping around in what's publicly available from nasa even Google, and I started crawling uh, the maps in, uh, from satellites of Antarctica. And there was a lot that was revealed even in what they allow you to see. And so, for hmm. instance, at the time that I saw the buildup in the real um, language, this was prior to the, so this has been 2014 and 15, we saw a lot of buildup in Antarctica language, the, the releasing in the, in my language anyway, of the idea of, of them discovering some kind of a library, library of healing frequencies, uh, Mm -hmm. healing machines, this kind of thing, and uh, ancient artifacts that were still, uh, quasi-functional or could be made to be functional. And these, the ramp up in the intelligence of that language coincided with a big buildup in personnel and a loosening of the hiring practices within the American corporations. It also, uh, for Antarctica, it also coincided with this weird change. And this is something to note as a, as a piece of evidence. And I'm saying it supports my position, but it could also go to speak to many other things as well. But this weird factual change was that a major corporation in the United States, the, uh, SAIC, which was, um, uh, a, Company not, to, not Lockheed Martin because they are right. I understand very active that. I understand them. that. Yeah. No, SAIC. Mm. Okay, SAIC is the this core development group where they back engineer stuff and think about things, right? Wow. And, and SAIC changed its very nature. It had been growing up along with Lockheed Martin, along with a, a Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and all these guys, and had grown in the '50s, '60s, and '70s, '80s, and so on, and as this giant corporation. And then it changes itself a few years back to where it split off its core woo-woo development environment, called that Lados, a new company name, and focused the core of the company on Antarctica exclusively. Wow. And then turned the rest of the company back to its ordinary mundane UFO kind of Lockheed Martin kind of stuff. But it created the... Wow. And so Latos is 100% focused on, on Antarctica and Antarctic business and all of this. Right. And it is the core of the original SAIC um, skunk works, if you will, yeah. rebranded. 
Yeah. And it was rebranded to Antarctica just at the same time I started seeing hints in my data that all this weird technology had been found there. And it was just a matter of us figuring out what switch did what, and we could introduce the technologies. Wow. That's even more. Wow. You know, uh, I have to let you go now, but uh, it's really a cool thing to end on. So so um, that's where we are at this time. I guess in the future, maybe if you next time we have your own or if there's anything else, we could get an update on this. Maybe we know more. Sure. I always I always look at the data and I keep my eyes on it. Yeah, because I think I kind of think we, we're going to learn more in the immediate future. They can't keep this under wraps forever. But I see your point about, you know, the pollution is actually kind of your own fault. Oh, exactly. Because if you didn't go out, it's, it's like it's like the you go back and kill your grandfather. <laughs> Would you still exist? <laughs> That's what you did with your own. Uh, that paradox is what you did. If you never went out with your information. It wouldn't have happened. Then right? I, w- I would, right? I would have had it. The blue chickens wouldn't have gotten it. They wouldn't have promulgated it into their community, which wouldn't have filtered back into my data sets. But only I would have had it. And the point was, and then you could say something more uh, certain about this, right? But I wouldn't have been able to share along the way. No, that's the paradox. Right? <laughs> exactly, and that was the point of it all too. Because I get real excited. It's like, ooh, ooh guys, look over uh, there, you know. And then I, I even went so far as to one point to start throwing out satellite images that I would find that would show real anomalous kinds of things going on. Huge developments down there that nobody speaks of. Right. Airfields and you know airplanes parked off on the side. All of this kind of thing. I guess uh, the uh, ancient wise were right when they said silence is golden. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Just a uh, obligatory trivia at the end here. Uh, you're not writing books, actually, but you you do write as, uh, just as much as an author because you have these huge reports. How can people get them? Uh, you can go to halfpasthuman.com, and I have a uh, page to buy all of my reports. They're at the moment more cryptocurrency focused than not because I want to help people uh, in the transition out of our dollar-based empire as it collapses. And so um, uh, the reports are just simply focused that way as of this point. We may at some point, once I've got my data issues resolved, return to a more general Alta report, but I'm not doing that at this moment. So in other words, I don't… Maybe you should do that uh, privately and uh, the practical money stuff outwardly and then later reveal all… We may may do something along those lines because I can't keep myself away from the woo-woo side of it. Of course. <laughs> That's what gets our numbers up so we can have uh, interesting stuff that's not that appealing to woo-woo. Yep. But uh, uh, is that how you make money? You, you apply that for markets? I, I Well, see, that was my original goal was to do just that, was to apply the technology of the emotions, right? If I could track the emotions of the stock market people, I could decide where will the mass yeah. of people want to go buy and I could get there ahead of them. So I was going to try and front run them at a consciousness level. And so what I've been able to do is I've been able to um, make ourselves comfortable here mm. economically because I've been able to front run the whole of the cryptocurrency stuff 
uh, from way back. Mm -hmm. So I was aware of cryptocurrencies coming into existence before I even knew that they would be called cryptocurrencies. I was aware that in 2005, we were going to have an extremely disruptive economic event. And then over 2006 and seven, it became evident that it would be positive in nature if we knew how to write it. And then in 2009, we get the Satoshi white paper on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are effectively born. And so I've been involved with cryptocurrencies from 2010. And I actually started accepting them and talking about them and telling people about them in early 2011. So I've been there a while. So at, that's really, at this stage, I don't have to work. I can just rely on cryptocurrency cool. and the uh, current situation to maintain a living. Oh, kudos. That's really great. Hey, uh, the, Well, the cool part is I've shared it. Okay, The cool part for me is that there are people that are now millionaires because they read my reports two years ago. Right, but, but you share the effects, not the cause. I mean, if you sold this software, you would become a Bill Gates. <laughs> if it's... I doubt that. I, if it were, See, okay, so there have been approached several times, and it would have been wrapped up in black box right, and right. put away somewhere, see. Amazing that you haven't been wrapped up and put in a black box somewhere. So, so they, I think it is because of I'm a known quantity. They can trace my history all the way back to my birth because I was a military brat, so they know mm. who I am. I think it's because they, they, I don't disguise or attempt to be anything other than what I am, and I think I'm useful. Plus, you're, you're keeping the software under wraps. Correct, correct. Although that anymore, that it's it's. That's trivial, okay? The things the oh, things okay. I have done are being replicated these days by by kids with the Python language. The only thing they don't have is my understanding of um, connecting the dots. Correct. The, the the last bit of connecting the dots between the emotions and the language. But I bet you there are people within predictive linguistic uh, associates like um, uh, predict uh, predictive future. Uh, and uh, some of these other future companies that are funded by the CIA, I'm mm. quite certain they're doing exactly what I'm doing and probably in a much more sophisticated machine learning augmented level. Bear in mind... Yeah, I, they've studied I, cycles since the war, yeah. Yeah, and see, basically what I'm doing is I'm tuning my lexicon by hand. If I really wanted to do it, if I was motivated, I would write a machine learning algorithm that would self-tune the lexicon continuously and it would be in near real time. But I've just right. been too lazy to go down that road. I see. It's a lot of code, right? But I bet you that these fellows have paid people to do that. Uh, of course, I bet that too. I'll suggest a road we can go down in the future, and that is to discuss consciousness and AI. Sure. Yeah, no worries You're at all. You're up for that? Oh, yeah, I love it. And also quantum computing. Yeah, and quantum computing. I think we may have broken the record today. Uh, well, <laughs> well, we're very close to... In terms of time, you mean? Because it was supposed to be a couple of hours. We've... Uh, right. Four hours, I think. Six. Yeah, and I've got I've to gotta get some food. Get Five the, hours. Poor you. And get but, the dogs out. Yeah. <laughs> but it will be worth it. This has been a smashing show. I'm pretty sure people have been sitting on the edge of the seat listening to this. So a uh, very huge and warm thank you, Cliff, for sharing so generously and sticking in there for the long haul. Sure. You're a true Sure, no problem at all. Th thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. Okay, Al, very nice chatting with you. It's just been a great experience. So um, anytime in the future. Cool. See you around. Okay, sounds good. Yep. Thank you. Bye. 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 Again, we thank Cliff High for his enduring generosity of his time and knowledge.
You know, in many ways, he's a perfect forum guest, because just like us, he's not in the business of telling you all the answers. But rather, he offers data points to have as a basis of drawing your own conclusions. I know it's unheard of in today's day and age, but Forum Borealis is not primarily a place for you to hear the final answers. If you want opinionated certainties, you have 99% of the internet to consult. If, however, you're a genuine free thinker, you can count on us to provide you grounds to make up your own mind that may or may not harmonize with my own conclusions, of which I occasionally disclose, but more often than not, I'm simply examining different positions as an academic exercise, and I do not always feel the need to shovel down your throat my own standpoints, especially not on matters where the jury is out and I'm on that jury, or necessarily flag a disagreement or an alternative view with a guest I'm conversing with, because it's not about my perspective, it's about the message of the guest and to facilitate that as clear as possible for you and also help shedding light on it from different angles. As for Antarctica, one thing is certain and that's that this is one of the most uncertain matters of our contemporary mysteries. But that shall not stop us from hunting down the puzzle pieces one by one. So join us again for our next step in this incredible story. Now, if you like our format, we encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel and do check that you actually are subscribed, because even if you think you are, you, you may actually have been unsubscribed as we're getting reports that this happens to some. And remember to click the bell that appear next to the subscription button once you're subscribed, which will allow you to get our updates when they happen. We don't release shows on a daily basis, so this will be your best bet to stay in the loop. Subscribing without the bell won't be sufficient anymore due to the YouTube restructuring. And if you are new to us, also know that you can subscribe to our website. We're in the process of phasing over from donation-based to subscription-based access to our website. So in the transition period, you will find seemingly mixed messages and contradictory descriptions uh, on our website. But the gist of it is this. Subscribe to our website and choose yourself how much you think it's worth, from a minimum of a dollar a month and upwards. Once you are signed up at our website, you have access to at least five unreleased shows at any given time, and all our shows are available to you as MP3s for download. Some shows may take months to be released to the public, but with the website access, you will get them as soon as they are created. In addition to this, you will also find exclusive contents of different kind, as well as the usual perks like seeing upcoming guests and shows, etc. Now, 
I have to add a big thank you to those of you who share our shows in social media and different websites. I've, I've kept an eye on this from time to time and I'm impressed by how effectively many of you advocate for us here and there. We're too bogged down in production tasks to to afford spending energy on spreading the forum. So we so we rely on faithful listeners to do this bidding on our behalf. Hence, we all contribute to raising the quality of the independent media. And although the forum is not suited for everyone, I'm starting to think there's many enough of us out there who prefer a place for argued discourse, curious examination and paradigm feeding, harvesting rather than just another propaganda-based outlet with the final answers. Good how boring the latter is, in my opinion. Now, in keeping with our tradition, I will conclude today's show with a few relevant words. And I've chosen a little story for you, which is about... It's the man who saw the smoky good. And I'm going to simultaneously translate directly, so bear with me. The old Norwegian sailor, Olaf Jansen, were laying in, in a big bed in a small house a little outside of L.A. in California. He was about to die, and his only friend, a young author, who at that point had never published anything, was sitting uh, solemnly in a chair next to him. This was in the year 1908. The old man lifted his greyish head from the pillows and a feverish expression of anguish were glimmering in his eyes. Sometimes death can be slow in its arrival to a man, he sighed. Easy, Olaf, whispered the young author. The doctor is right around the corner. I don't care about the doctors. Age cannot be healed, said Olaf Johnson with a hoarse voice. But there's still time to tell you about the giants. Maybe someday you can travel down to them. Where is that? asked Willis George Emerson, the young author. It's the land beyond the poles where the giants live, said the old one. The world that is inside of the earth. And while Olaf Johnson was waiting for death, he told about a strange world inhabited by giants and other supposed mythical creatures. He claimed that he and his father had drifted into the hollow earth through an opening at the North Pole. In 1829 they had sailed the northern seas in a fishing boat and when a powerful wind were pushing them northward they decided to to go with the flow and explore to examine to see if the ancestors myths and descriptions were right Ever since the northerners had sailed out from the Scandinavian fjords 
to fish or pillage, these uh, brave seafarers had spoken gravely about the land beyond the northern wind. Olaf Johnson claimed that he and his father had sailed into this strange other world. The giants were friendly and we lived there two years, he related. There were many astonishing wonders inside the earth. The dying man spoke on about how he felt as a dwarf next to his hospitable hosts. The giants doesn't only exist in fairy tales, he said. They live down there. And they live between 600 and 800 years. They taught us their language. What kind of world is it? Asked the skeptical author. Oh, they are far ahead of us in so many areas, Johnson said. He explained that the people inside of Earth were in possession of a mystical force more effective than electricity. This uh, power source made them able to harvest energy from the atmosphere. They also had anti-gravity generators. The giants inside Earth got warmth from one single sun that were shining somewhat less clear than our star sun. This inner sun was enshrouded in foggy clouds, therefore they call it the misty or smoky god. So how did you get out again? After a couple of years transpassed, we were allowed to return, Johnson replied. And even paradise becomes boring if you cannot have your friends and relatives around you. The giants gave us permission to sail home, so we were drifting along for a long time, and finally were sucked out through the opening at the South Pole. But after we came back to the outer world, after, after having returned to the outer world, the two men put their course towards the north. Unfortunately, their boat crashed with an iceberg and Olaf Johnson's father was killed. The young seamen were thrown out into the ice-cold water, but, but Lady Fortune's luck must have followed me, the old man asserted, because I was shortly after rescued by a Scottish, a Scottish whaling hunters and was thereby able eventually to reach back home. But didn't you tell people about your experiences? Asked the author. The world would have been enthusiastic about your discovery. No, that's the biggest mistake in my, in my life. That I actually did tell them. The old man replied with a bitter voice. When I talked about the inner lands already at the boat, they thought I had gone crazy. And when I returned... A relative got me committed to insanity hospital. Johnson claimed that when he entered the sanatorium, he was both a physical and mentally sound young man, but he left it as a bitter middle-aged man. 
After having been discharged, Johnson in many years worked as a fisher and saved a small fortune thereby. Later he emigrated to the United States where he first settled in the, in a little town in Illinois and later he moved to California where he bought a house outside of LA. I came to California because it is the place on Earth's surface that reminds me the most about the paradise inside of earth the old dying man said he gave many more details about his uh, experiences in the land of the giants and emerson received several cards and and records that he published in the book the smoky god that came out in 1908 that's this is just one of many many stories myths legions relations transmissions about the inner earth which is just one of many such myths and mysteries concerning the poles come back next time when we're going to explore this even further and until then i remain your host Al, due to the help of my eminent team, your support and encouragement. Be seeing you. Number one.